You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say you fool, they will be in danger of a fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponent while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge and the judge will turn you over to the officer of the court and you'll be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you have paid the very last penny. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks, Gary. Go ahead and pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm not sure if I should be the guy standing up in front of y'all to try to preach this text this morning. According to it, I am in the passage also, we kind of clipped it a little shorter. According to it in the passage after it, I am a multi-murderer and an adulterer. And I don't really say that to be cute or clever. You see, like this last season has been really tough. And it seems like I'm like stacking losses on top of each other and it doesn't feel good. And it has made me so angry really angry. And I'm, I'm not used to this feeling because I'm not an angry person, but I found myself seething at times. About big and lofty and righteous things, I always think of my friend Mike Boone, who used to say there's only two emotions, righteousness and anger. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's really true, uh, but that's a very Mike thing to say. Uh, I've been mad about big and righteous things like injustices in the world and injustices to me. Um, things like real things, gun violence, friends, landlords being greedy and duplicitous, people getting sick, um, neighbors on my block being really opportunistic and selfish and not very neighborly as they make decisions that affect other people, but they just do what they want to do. Heck, the way all of this church stuff Building stuff has gone down has at times made me really angry. Um, I, I was talking with my spiritual director about it, that this anger at times feels like almost like lava. <laughs> it's just, it's hot and it is dangerous. Or like, you know, I'm not a, a, a gun or a weapon person, but it has felt like a loaded weapon that I'm carrying around that could just go off in any direction, at any time. It's, it's a really strange and dangerous feeling. You can ask the customer service agent at Maytag Appliances what this feeling sounds like, 
or maybe you can talk to one of my children, the fourth of whom just asked an innocent question who happened to be fourth in line after three previous consecutive questions, right? This anger, this anger just comes out. It is volatile, it is unsafe. And this is actually the exact kind of anger that Jesus is talking about in his sermon. It's, it's not so much the quick flare-up anger, but it is that slow subterranean anger that simmers and burns. It's that, it's kind of the idea of carrying anger until it turns you into an angry person, a violent and resentful person. It's not just the flame up, but it is the, the ember of anger that forms a habit, makes the person that we're becoming. One uh, Bible commentator, when I was looking into this, said that Jesus shows us that the attitudes we carry around are already public acts, real deeds, and as such, they're answerable before the judgment of God. This, this kind of anger makes us the sorts of people who have enemies easily and opponents everywhere. In fact, if I don't know you well, I'm just going to assume that you are my opponent who is trying to take me down. It makes you into the sort of person who organizes your world according to your grievances. It's not like we've seen that affect our politics or our neighborliness or any of that sort of thing. So while there's definitely a connection between what we actually do and who we are and what we're becoming, I don't think Jesus is necessarily dinging us for every bit of anger that we have. I don't think that's really how Jesus is. And so... Um, if, if, that's, if that's how this text was used against you most of your life, um, hear good news this morning. That Jesus doesn't ding us for anger, even as he warns us of anger, right? That Jesus is actually instead inviting us to become people whose lives are not characterized by anger and all of the other things that he keeps going on to in the sermon. People that aren't comfortable with anger, who, who, who refuse to grow comfortable with anger, who, who won't normalize anger, who will not become um, skilled at carrying it, but instead will become skilled at offloading it and living it before God. That's basically the, like, two-thirds of the book of Psalms <laughs> is that, is being angry before God. So Jesus launches into these antitheses, like these, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And, and again, there's some disagreement on that because antitheses kind of um, uh, says that Jesus is doing something completely different, but actually Jesus is kind of burrowing deeper in. They, they might be like hyper-theses that is happening right now. Jesus is trying to save us from this sort of becoming and help us to become something different. Jesus is kind of sort of trying to help us become the right kind of losers. You see, he's reframing our vision, he's reframing our attitudes and our actions. Jesus might well, in doing this, be giving us the keys to the kingdom. And when I say that, I don't mean like the shortcut, the silver bullet, the life hack to the kingdom. I mean like the key um, uh, emotional valences and like habit-forming things to live inside of this very real kingdom of God that Jesus has launched and is still on its way. 
becoming the right kind of loser seems like a really ironic thing. I'm, I'm catching the irony as I say that on Super Bowl Sunday, the like most competitive, well, we've learned not the biggest sporting event in the world, but the biggest sporting event for a certain kind of American football, right? Um, the goal is, of course, for all of these guys who get paid so much money, definitely not to lose. And we hold up the winner's like lowercase g gods, right? And then if you live in Philly, you're probably going to burn something in riot whether you win or lose. You know, that's just what's going to happen. So Jesus follows up his salt and light teaching of the Sermon on the Mount with this sort of discipleship course in losing. I wonder how many people signed up for this course when they first got to the mountain, right? Here's where the ethical rubber hits the real-life road. Jesus is turning up, not down, the sensitivity on our lives. He's calling us and enabling us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's calling others to do the same with that saltiness and enlightenment. As he does it, it really feels like he's exposing our propensity to try to do anything but lose. I don't know how competitive you guys are. Maybe we'll see in a few minutes downstairs. But like, I think most of my life is spent not losing. Um, I was going to bring for like a prop. I got this gift a few years ago, and it's a like a custom mug, and it says Red Mayor because I had earned this name playing Settlers of Catan. I'm, I'm not that good at that game. I just want other people to lose and I want to win, right? And so so I would take on this persona as the red mayor and it got me this coffee cup, right? I mean, look at the logic of that related to our the passage at the end of Luke five, or of Matthew 5. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't leave someone high and dry in divorce and don't bear false witness. Each is an attempt to kind of be the last person standing. You only murder if you think that life is like a zero-sum steel cage match that only one person is going to get out of a lot. You only commit adultery if you're, if you're so myopic and opportunistic that you look out for your needs and your desires and the next feeling of being desirable. Jesus is a realist that divorce is messy and marriage is maybe even more messy. And uh, left to our own advices, a lot of us would bail out just to protect ourselves, regardless of what happens to the one that we were once one with. Uh, little footnote, I don't think Jesus is talking about abusive marriage. I think he's talking about abusive divorce. That's his like preventative here. So we can talk more about that later if, if, if you'd like. And then lying. Well, this is a skill that we've learned since we were kids, a lot of us. Everyone knows that bending the rules isn't that bad. It's probably the best way to get people to like you, right? Or at least not to know the truth about your sin, those like little sins, those peccadillos. Um, like we lie to ourselves even whenever we get really close to the truth about ourselves or we don't like or we don't feel like we measure up. We lie on the stand to protect ourselves from what we've done or the scrutiny that the truth provides. So when it comes down to it, most of our lives are spent trying to win, 
we don't want to be embarrassed by a loss. So we do anything to avoid losing. It's into this reality that Jesus speaks, and he speaks as one with authority. I think that's important. That makes him like a Moses character, like this, this, that makes him close to God. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and uh, he says that in his preface, and some have commentated that um, you may have grown up with the Sermon on the Mount taught to you as a, this impossible standard that is just going to crush you, like, like you hear these words, and it's just so hard, it's impossible. So then it makes you know that you're a sinner, and then you have to, of course, come crawling to God. That these are impossible teachings to Jesus. This is an impossible spiritual, ethical feat, and it throws us into the arms of God's mercy. Maybe there's something like that happening on some level, but that is not even close to the main point here. Usually this is kind of an escape hatch, <laughs> It's a way for us to not take Jesus seriously, to not even try. G.K. Chesterton once said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried, largely. I won't argue that Jesus, what Jesus says isn't really hard. Maybe it actually is impossible. It's, an, it's definitely an intensification of the law. But Jesus is, is actually just getting really granular here. He's getting real, real life stuff here. I think he knows that most of us don't go around killing each other, but many of us go around angry. So let's, instead of working under the assumption that this isn't possible and isn't real, and so we shouldn't even really bother trying, let's work under the twin assumptions that Jesus actually means what he says. Always a good assumption. And that Jesus is bearing good news. That somehow this is good news. It's good news to the poor. It's freedom to the captives. It's sight to the blind. It's deliverance to the oppressed. I doubt that he's just trying to give us bad news that enslaves and traps and makes our vision more narrow. What if Jesus is witnessing to the kingdom and how it works? What if he's introducing a whole different and riskier logic to us? What if he's continuing to build off the guest list from the last couple weeks in the Beatitudes in which all the wrong people are blessed and privileged and as the kingdom breaks in and as it surprises us? What if Jesus goes even further from like do no harm and instead takes us away from a self-righteous mode of this world of proving and protecting? and replaces it with an easy, light burden, a yoke of losing. That it's okay if we lose. Maybe that's all we need to say today. It's okay if we lose, guys. It's okay. He's not doing this because he's, he's crazy or cruel, but because he's, he's fitting us for the way things really are in this kingdom, this real reality, kingdom of God, which we so often miss out on because we're, we're, we're trying not to hit bottom. We buffer ourselves against this thing most of the time. So Jesus unleashes these statements, inviting us into discipleship for losers. For those who don't win or at least don't assure our victory, 10-year-old me really hates this idea. 40-year-old me really hates this idea. 
maybe like 60 year old me will be so chill that I'll be finally warm to this idea. It makes me feel really exposed. You see, I've done pretty well in life, not murdering or cheating or divorcing or lying under oath. But man, when we start to get into this nitty gritty that Jesus is saying, things start to ping all over. I get angry for the same reasons I'd kill somebody. I want to be right. I want to be safe. If it's me or if it's them, I want it to be me. I lust because I want to be more than I am or I want to have more than I have. I lie because sometimes the truth just doesn't look good or it doesn't feel good on my lips. <laughs> one time one of the kids came home from school and they were completely bewildered. They said, did you know sometimes people tell lies to make themselves seem more interesting? <laughs> like, oh, you're not on social media yet. But it makes me wonder, Jesus is, is remixing all these things. He has all these, you've heard it said, but I say to use. Makes me wonder what you have heard it said are in circulation around us that Jesus might remix or combat or antithesize. Maybe good things which we manipulate in order to win or at least not to lose. You've heard it said that you need to win by being more informed than someone else, by being more under control as a parent. You've heard it said that you could be more activistic, you could be more moderate, you could be more radical, you could be more conservative. You've heard it said you could be more in control of your finances, you could be more detached and cynical. You could be more upwardly mobile, you could be more creative, you could be more carefree. You could always be more local, sustainable, small batch. You could definitely be more self-righteous. But Jesus says to us that less is more. Down is up. Losing is winning. The future doesn't belong to anyone but to Jesus. To be on the right side of history is to be on Jesus's side, to be his friend, to be part of his motley, strange, awkward family of losers. But that loser always has an asterisk on it. We can't, we, we have to actually go through the losing. We can't just skip to the asterisk though. I think this is the asterisk of the season that we're about to head into. The, the asterisk of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is that asterisk on, uh, on us being losers. It's the asterisk of the new heaven and the new earth. It's the asterisk of God's justice and mercy. It's the asterisk of Jesus. Philippians 2 is all about this. It says, because Jesus was in the very form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself and became nothing taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Scandalous stuff. This, my friends, is a deep theology of losing. It's a, a theology of emptying and slavery and death and the cross. So I'm, I'm trying to learn to love this kind of losing or be a little more comfortable with it, like normalize this kind of losing. 
losing arguments, leaving things on the table and not maximizing, not wringing every ounce of leverage out of every interaction I have with someone. Even small things like learning how to not have the last word. Whew. Even when it's not satisfying or that you know, the last word in the air doesn't reinforce who I think I am or who I want to project. It's learning to abandon parts of our privilege and our power, things that we can see and that we know about, but also to interrogate the things that we can't see that are more invisible or opaque or subtle. It's to, to come against the idea that none of this is practical or practicable and we just need to get on to apologizing with God and doing whatever we want. We're, we're not going to do that. We need to instead learn how to become beginners in this kingdom life. We need to learn how to be sisters and brothers to the least, the last, the lost, the littlest, and the closest to death. You know, those states that we are trying desperately to avoid, it's actually, that's, that's where God shows up. So if we get there by losing, we get where God is. And God comes to us, God meets us. It's those times that we can experience intimacy with God, not forsakenness from God. So we'll muddle, we'll walk with Jesus, we'll stumble along, we'll mess up, and sometimes we'll revert to our old defensive ways that think that there can only be one winner and one loser, and it's got to be us, that winner. But this discipleship with losers is the only worthy way of living. So we'll, we'll muddle along in it. We'll figure it out. We're going to have to ask for help in it too. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness. We're going to actually have to trust that all of this matters and nothing is wasted. It means we're going to have to stay close to Jesus. We're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because Jesus has shown us the way. He's given us the keys. Like I mentioned, in a few weeks, we head into a season of the Christian calendar known as Lent. The perfect time to dabble in losing, even if just for 40 days or so. It's a season of journeying with Jesus to the cross. It's a season of a lot of pruning and self-denial, but also making room and embracing. It's sort of addition by subtraction. At the end of the, the passage that we, we clipped off, uh, one of the things Jesus says about lying is that we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no, that we need to be truthful people in this world. Lent is certainly a season of truthfulness. The truth about ourselves, the truth about this world, the truth about God. And speaking of let your yes be yes, Lent is also a season in which we we focus our eyes and our hearts and our, our whole selves on the cross of Jesus, which is God's very yes to all creation, even as it's God's no to sin. That cross is, is God's cosmic loss that becomes our personal and our communal and all of creation's gain. It gives us a reason and ability to tell the truth about ourselves. 
It helps us to not shy away from the ways that we, we, we muscle up or we evade, the ways we take things into our own hands instead of trusting God to provide and to vindicate. I want to close uh, with a, a short quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer focusing on the cross. Um, this, this whole passage, and go back this week and read it, the end of chapter 5, it's all about us becoming people of the truth. People who are able to lose, but more importantly, people who have no separation between the person that we are projecting, the person that we are becoming, and the person that we actually are, and that who God is making us, that we can become people of the truth. Bonhoeffer says, only the cross as God's truth can make us truthful. Those who know the cross no longer shy away from truth. Will you all pray with me? Lord God, make us truthful people. Help us be people uh, walking with you uh, to the cross and through the cross into your vindication, your resurrection, your new life. Lord, help us not be afraid. Uh, so, so many of the things that Jesus speaks about here are things we're so scared of. Take away our fear. Um, thanks for giving us these keys to your kingdom. Um, things that open up our new life together with you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.